Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good to see everybody this morning. Glad to have some people back with us after a while, and so we encourage you to come back and visit again with us each and every opportunity that you have. So if you're visiting, uh, we hope you will not consider yourself a visitor for very long. This morning, I want us to talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. One of those things that, uh, topics at least, that we, we often don't seem to want to talk about because it can get very complicated and we're always afraid, it seems, of saying potentially the wrong thing and, and getting things confused. So I want to spend just a few minutes this morning talking about the Holy Spirit. First of all, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we need to make sure we, we realize, we understand, we, we know that the Holy Spirit has divinity, has eternal power, much like the Father and the Son. In fact, the easiest way to see that is to look right at the close of the book of Matthew, where Jesus is giving what's called the Great Commission, where he's telling his apostles to go into all the world and, and teach all nations, making disciples and baptizing them here, as it says, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If we've got a King James Bible, it'll have that unfortunate reference from 400 years ago, and it'll say the Holy Ghost. We're not talking about something that goes around in a white sheet. You know, here in this last week or two, so you might have seen some of those out in people's front yards. Ghost and spirit, in some ways, have that same connotation of something that is not material, not physical. Well, I promise you, all the white sheets you've ever seen are physical. So we're not talking about a ghost in the same way as someone that's died and haunting a house or something like that. And so the Holy Spirit is a better way of referring to it, certainly, than Holy Ghost. If you look at John 15, 26, and another, I think, good point of reference for the divinity of what we're discussing here, the Holy Spirit today, Jesus in John 15 is talking to his disciples and he's telling them some really heart-to-heart -heart things, some important things before he is led away to be crucified, before he leaves the earth. He says, when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. The Holy Spirit was sent from the Father to the apostles into the world once Jesus left. And notice this phrasing, this name that Jesus gives to the Spirit, calls it the Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. One of the core aspects of what the Spirit does is to bring truth into the world and to testify, to point to Jesus. You know, in that sense, we all should be more and more like the Holy Spirit because we should always testify and point to Jesus each and every day that we live. So what's the Spirit going to do once the Spirit enters the world? Let's look at several passages here. Again, John 16, Jesus still talking with his disciples, with his uh, soon-to-be apostles in John 16, 17, and 18. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. You know, they, like us, would probably not have agreed with that statement at the time. Why would we ever want Jesus to go away? Jesus says, it's good that I am going away because once Jesus left the earth, once he left the close interaction with the apostles, the apostles and disciples in some ways 
The best way I can think of is their faith having to grow up a bit. Because it was so easy to look at Jesus every single day across the table, walking in front of you, being nearby, and their faith was so centered on this physical man, Jesus, that it didn't have the opportunity to expand and grow the way it needed to, in my opinion. It seems that way to me. Now, Jesus says, because unless I go away, the counselor, another name for the Holy Spirit, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, what will he do? He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Much like in that previous statement we saw that the Spirit would testify about Jesus, that when he would testify about him, he also is going to convict the world in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment and our guilt in those areas. When he comes and speaks the truth as the Spirit of truth and allows Jesus' followers to speak the truth to the world, as a result of that truth being spoken to the world, the world will be convicted, will realize in their hearts, and that world is you and me. We will realize our guilt in regard to our choices. And without the Spirit being here, the Spirit of truth given once Jesus leaves, this mission would have had to be carried on perhaps some other way. And this is the design. This is the plan to have the world convicted of sin by the spirit of truth. Continuing just a few uh, verses later. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, again another uh, repeating of that phrase about the Holy Spirit. When the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. Now let me stop right there for just a second. Who is Jesus speaking to right here? He's speaking of his disciples and his apostles. Again, we tend to think of this as something happening around what uh, Matthew and Luke uh, will refer to as the, the Last Supper. But it's got to be in that situation because even in the Gospel of John, Jesus is led away to be crucified shortly after this. So around the table, around the time of, of eating and talking and, and discussing things, Jesus is speaking to that group. And he tells that group that the spirit of truth will guide each of them into all truth. Who's not present at that time? Right? I wasn't there. And so the spirit of truth did not come into the world to lead Gene into all truth. If you've listened to me frequently enough, you will know that I make mistakes. I used to get emails, fortunately at least they weren't anonymous, that would point out where I'd slipped up. I'd refer to the book of Galatians rather than the book of Ephesians or something like that. There's no guarantee today that I will always speak the truth. I do my best, but I make mistakes. There's no new truth being revealed through Gene. It's all looking at what has been revealed and trying to share it. So the spirit of truth was going to guide the apostles into all truth. Look and continue on with the reading. For he, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, will not speak of himself, but whatever he will hear, that he will speak. And he will show you things to come. Again, who's the you in this conversation? It's the apostles, it's the disciples. 
Jesus is speaking to them and it's being recorded here. The you is Jesus to who he is speaking. He's not going to show me things to come. I'm not going to have a vision today of what's going to happen next week. If so, hopefully it's about which uh, investments I should have made today, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. The Spirit will glorify me, for he will receive of me and will show it to you. So there are some things the Holy Spirit was going to do for the apostles, for the people who were hearing Jesus in John 14, 15, and 16, that don't apply directly here to you and me. The truth revealed is now in what we often have in front of us, in that printed book called the Bible, or among our younger people, in that app that's on the phone that opens up the words of the Bible. The truth that was revealed to the apostles, the apostles wrote down so that we could benefit from that truth that had been revealed to them. Now notice the change of the pronoun in the next passage from the book of Romans. Romans 8.26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. This is not talking about you to a group of people present right there at the time. This is for all of us. The Spirit helps all of us in our weaknesses. What does he mean? We do not know what we ought to pray for. Sometimes that's absolutely true. We don't know what to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans and words that cannot that words cannot express. You know, look, I don't I don't know all of our individual pasts all that well. I really don't know what has happened to you over over your lifetime. But I'm almost certain that for each one of us, at some point we have gotten to a time in our lives where something so tragic, something so upsetting, something so painful, something so emotionally hard has come to pass that you want to cry out to God and you just can't seem to find the words to do it. There are times where something so horrible, so hard to take may happen that you feel like simply collapsing on the floor in a heap. And in this circumstance, that's what I think Paul is referring to here. There are going to be times where you just don't know, you can't seem to get words out of you to express to God the pain, the anguish, the suffering that you've got within you. Don't worry. Because if that circumstance happens, the Spirit, Paul says here, will intercede with us in some sort of a way to the Father to express what we really can't get out on our own. I really appreciate that work of the Spirit here. Even if I can't get out the words, the expressions, what I want to say to God, as a follower of God, as a member of His family, I've got some help. Sometimes in the communication to God with the Spirit helping us in groans, whatever. I mean, it's just the idea of expressions that you really can't put into words. And sometimes that may be, I can't get it into words, and it goes straight to God anyway. There's a specific way in which the Spirit works that is very technically, specifically applicable to congregations, gatherings of God's people that uh, I find very interesting. In Acts 20, 
verse 28. The Apostle Paul is at a coastal town named Miletus. It's in modern-day Turkey. And he's about to leave that area for what appears to be the last time. And he had spent several years in a town roughly 20 miles away called Ephesus. We have a book in the New Testament, Ephesians, that was written to the people at Ephesus. And spending several years there, he had gotten very close to the elders, the leaders of that local congregation. And he calls to them, come to me. I'm about to leave. I have some things I want to share with you for my last time. And so they come the 20 miles from Ephesus to Miletus. And in Acts 20, we have recorded what Paul told them. I'm jumping in only at one little spot of that because he's telling the elders to please look out for the congregation. Look out for the church. Because after Paul leaves, some people are going to try to come in and take advantage of the little sheep that are in the church, the little sheep that are in the flock. You need to be on guard. You need to be a watchdog, watching out for evil things that some people are going to try to do to the members of the church there in Ephesus. And so he says, take heed to all the flock. That's you and me, the little sheep. And the word for flock here really does refer to baby sheep. You know, when I see pictures of big sheep, they always seem kind of like they don't know what's going on. In fact, apparently sheep are not too smart. Uh, to get them moving the right way. That's why shepherds had, what were they, what were they usually carrying? A big stick, a staff. Because <laughs> they'd have to reach out there and smack on the sheep sometimes. But those are adult sheep. On the other hand, what do we often give little babies? What do you often find in a little baby nursery or a baby crib? You'll find this little fuzzy, what? Baby lamb. What's a baby lamb? It's a baby sheep. Because it's cuddly. The little baby wants to snuggle with it. You want to snuggle with the little baby that has the little lamb? It's a lovable little sheep is what it is. That's how God's referring to the church right here. He tells these elders, take heed to all the flock. The word there is really talking about this little gathering of baby sheep. I don't care how old you are. And I'm not going to ask you. I don't care how old you are. But... No matter how old you are, in God's eyes, to him, you are always going to be that cuddly little fuzzy lamb. And the love that people can feel toward an inanimate baby lamb, baby sheep, right, is the way God loves you. And the last thing he wants is for somebody to come in and mess with his little baby lamb. And so he tells the elders, you watch out for these baby lambs that God loves so much that's implied in the word flock because that's one of your big responsibilities. You make sure that those little baby sheep aren't messed with because God loves them. But how did they get into the position of being an elder? Look at the rest of the sentence. Take heed to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The word for elder, leader, is an overseer. It's really designed to make sure that things that are done by other people are done properly. That's the meaning of the word. Somehow or other, the Holy Spirit is involved in the selection of elders, leaders over a local church. How? I have no idea. In 
Acts 20 with these elders. For all I know, the Holy Spirit being directly involved in the lives of people and the lives of the church at that time could have been something miraculous happening. Well, the Holy Spirit's not really doing that today. But somehow or other, through prayer and conscience and direction in terms of leading people, should I be doing this to help out the local congregation, I still believe that the Holy Spirit is involved in the selection process for leaders and the decisions people make. That, I think, is an interesting aspect of the work and mission of the Holy Spirit. This is perhaps in many ways the biggest work and mission of the Spirit today. This is what Evan read for us earlier, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Paul talking to the Christians in Corinth says, don't you know that you now are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells within you. In the time of the Jewish nation in the past, in the land of Israel, as Paul writes this, was the Jewish temple. And it was the place people viewed where God dwelt. Sometimes we are told at various points in history, the temple would glow with the glory of God within the temple. All religious groups had felt that the temple is where the God of gods lived. And in reality, that was the focal point of God's presence. Once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies in the temple and offer the, the forgiveness, the aspects of forgiveness of sins for the people. God's focal point where the people focused on where God was, was the temple. The temple's not there anymore. Paul says even when it was still there, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that's not the Christian's focal point for where God is. Where is God from a focus today? The Spirit of God dwells in you. You, I, am now the temple of God. The Spirit that dwells within me is the Holy Spirit, and He dwells within the, the body, if you will, of every single member of God's family. Now, if I am the temple of God, and I, I, I freely understand I'm a pretty worn down temple from the outside, it's not the outside we're supposed to be focusing on. It's not what the walls of the temple look like, right? If you think of the physical aspects of me and compare it to a building, the important part of making sure that the temple of God is properly cared for. It's not on the outside, but it's on the inside. I need to be developing the kinds of qualities that show that I am a temple for the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Paul specifically says, how can you be a member of God's family? In effect, how can you be the temple of God? How can you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you and go join yourself to a prostitute. How can you take this body where the Spirit of God dwells within you and go live in sin? The answer to that is, it should be impossible. Because if God's Spirit dwells within you, how can you go and live with the works of the devil? How can you possibly live the way you want to live instead of the way God wants you? So today, every single member of God's family, every single one of us 
who has put Jesus on in baptism and changed our life from wrong to right, we have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling within us. Am I focusing on trying to become the type of person that God wants me to be? How do I know what kind of person God wants me to be? Well, in the class that Kelly and I have been teaching on Sunday mornings, we've been focusing last couple of months on this statement from Galatians chapter 5, 22 to 23. The fruit of the Spirit. You know, if something gets planted within the ground, think about getting an apple seed, think about getting uh, some sort of watermelon seed. When you plant it in the ground, the hope is that you get fruit coming out of it. I mean, the last thing I want is to have something green come out of the ground that I just want to mow over because nothing's on there that's any good. I want a watermelon coming out of it. I want some fruit. Fruit's typically a good thing. Well, if God's Spirit dwells within me as a member of His family, and it does, what comes out of me needs to be fruit from that Spirit that lives within me. Well, what are those fruits? Look right here. The fruit of the Spirit is love. If I'm a member of God's family and the Spirit is living within me, then love needs to be coming out. How does that get expressed? It's expressed by not being hateful, not saying hateful things. I mean, our resolution, the year's almost over, our resolution was to love God and love our neighbor for our New Year's resolution. That means doing nice things for people. It means not doing hurtful, evil things for people. And that's the first thing this listed is coming out of us with the Spirit living within us. Fruit from the Spirit living within us should show in actions of love. It should show in actions that bring joy to us and to other people. You know, would you want to know, if you could, would you want to know what the average thought of people was about you whenever you came into the room? You know, if I come into the room and there's 10 people in there, if I could, the initial reaction people have, Gene's here. Is it, uh, or is it, hey, Reaction do I bring in the lives of people? God says here in the book of Galatians, Paul says it needs to be joy. If I come in, who, who's the back up? Who's the least joyful person you can think of? And I'm thinking of a cartoon. No, a cartoon. A cartoon, I'll give you a hint, it comes from Winnie the Pooh. Eeyore. No matter what happens, what does Eeyore do? Here, here's some honey for you, Eeyore. Well, probably run out sometime, then I won't have any. If I eat it, yeah, it may be good, but I'll get a stomachache. No matter what, he has no joy. You can't be a member of God's family and be an Eeyore. You just can't. You shouldn't have Eeyores around you because when you come into the room, you turn people into Eeyores. We need to be generating fruit that's love and joy. And look at the third one, peace. Jesus himself had said, blessed are the peacemakers. In the TV series, The Chosen, Jesus used that as one of the ways to know where his people could be found. 
his people would be found where there were peacemakers rather than peace breakers. Do I go through my day? Do I go through my week? Do I go through my life causing stress and strife? Or do I go through my day finding ways to have peace, settling problems rather than creating problems? Look at the next one. Patience. Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. Patience is hard because it means when we're around people who may be yours, who may be people who are not happy, who are not loving, we don't just fly off the handle. We don't simply... Patience. If the Spirit lives within me, and He does, I need to have these qualities coming out. Kindness. Show a little kindness in what we do day to day. I've encouraged us before to look for ways to do something kind for somebody even if they don't know that you did it. You know, I mean, it can be easy, right? If somebody has left the dishes out, put them away, clean them up without hollering, hey, you left your dishes out. Or at work, if somebody's through with their lunch, throw it away. I mean, there's all sorts of ways. Look for some way to do something nice for people and make it the way you think all the time. Because if the Spirit of God is living within me, one of the fruits that needs to come out is kindness, acts of kindness. At the very least, you can always not do acts of evil. I mean, if you have to, I don't like saying not evil. Do something that's proactively kind. Certainly don't do things that are evil. Get rid of those actions. Do something proactively kind. A general form of goodness. When people think of you, when people think of me, again, what's that first thought? I hope it's not something that I'd be embarrassed to have written down and shown to me. Would you? I would hope maybe it's one of these. Goodness, faithfulness, you can count on Gene. Can somebody count on us? Gentleness. There's times where you may need a sledgehammer, right? But there are other times where a more gentle approach is needed. I have to work with it uh, on this. My wife can tell you the stories of a kid getting hurt in the house, and what I want to do is to tear down and burn the sofa they got hurt on. That's not exactly a gentle response. <laughs> I won't tear that sofa up. I get worked up on it. I have to work on gentleness for a gentle way of solving the problem. For one thing, if I'm not gentle, I'm unlikely to be showing patience. I'm unlikely to be showing kindness. I'm unlikely to be generating peace because if I'm not gentle, I'm causing probably stress. They all tie together. And in this last place, self-control. Really, when you think about it, that has so many of them wrapped up in it. Self-control is why I will not show hate toward someone. I will show love. Self-control is why I will look for ways to be joyful and make sure people are joyful around me. What makes people joyful? Being loving around them, being kind around them. I will be in control of myself and showing patience. I will be in control of myself and being kind and good and people can count on me. All of these things are all tied together and they are the fruit that should come out of me, the 
because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Paul then says, against such things there is no law. Nobody's making a law that says it's illegal to be kind. If they do, we got to give up because uh, the world will really have just run off the rails. There's no law against these things, but there is a requirement, if you will, that if we're members of God's family, these things, these qualities need to describe me, need to describe you. So if the Spirit lives within us, fruit is going to be produced. You're going to generate fruit from whatever lives within you. If it's the Spirit, it'll look like this. If it's living for yourself, if it's selfishness, something else is living in here. So what fruit what does my fruit say about what lives within me? Another statement here that I think is important. Uh, later on in the book of Ephesians, after we've been uh, talking about Ephesus earlier, he says, Paul says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, the Spirit's weapon, if you will, against sin, the Spirit's weapon against corruption in the world, is the Word of God. In the first century, that Word came from words spoken by Jesus. It came from words given to the apostles. Today, it comes from the records we have of what was said, the Bible itself. If we have God's Word within us, then that's where you go to answer the problems of life. That sword will cut through anything if we know how to use the sword. So in summary here, just some things that uh, the Holy Spirit does, he's quite active. He convicts the world of sin, does that through the word and through our sharing of the word. He spoke to the apostles, guided them into all truth, showed them the things to come and glorified Jesus. He indwells within each one of us. He's involved somehow in the selection and appointment of elders. Now, that may be rather minor, but it was an interesting thought to me. He helps in our prayers when we don't know quite how to pray for something. And he is seed corn, if you will, corn that's planted that fruit grows from. The Bible also uses personal pronouns to speak of the Holy Spirit. Uses the pronouns he, him, his. He's not some glorified it. He's not some impersonal force. He is a person. He is a person. Just like our Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus, the Holy Spirit, as I say here, is a person. He's treated as a person. He can be blasphemed, spoken against. He can be lied to. Two people tried that in Acts chapter 5 when they fall dead. He can be insulted. Hebrews 10. He has attributes only a person can have. He has intelligence. He instructs. He speaks. He teaches. He reminds. He guides. He convicts. He forbids. There's all sorts of things the Holy Spirit does as recorded in the New Testament. He's not simply somehow, as I'll say in the last slide that we see at the moment, a retired author. He didn't simply help the Bible decompose, but now he's kicked back resting somewhere. Very, very active in the world, the majority of which is by living in us and having us develop to be the kind of people we should be. What did some of the early Christians say about the Holy Spirit? A writing around 150 A.D. said to Christians, Do not crush the Holy Spirit which dwells within you. How do you crush the Holy Spirit? You ignore those demands for 
the fruits of the Spirit. Clement of Alexandria said, The mouth of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has spoken these things. Very truly, the Spirit is where the message of God comes from that we have in front of us, the Bible. The mouth of the Lord. What a way of phrasing it, but I think it's a very true statement. A writer around 200 AD who lost his head because he was a believer in Jesus. He says, I will pray the Father and he will send you another comforter, even the Spirit of truth. He's quoting Jesus. So he knew what Jesus said in 200 AD. Thus making the Holy Spirit distinct from himself. The Holy Spirit is distinct from Jesus. Even as we say that the Son is distinct from the Father. How does all that work? How does Father, Son, and Spirit work? This thing that sometimes people call the Trinity. Have you got about 10 years? Maybe we'll have plenty of time to talk about it. Because it's really complicated. People have torn their hair out. Something. Not maybe. Trying to mess with this. It doesn't matter exactly how I understand it. As long as I know that Spirit dwells within me. And I need to live the kind of life God wants me to live. We pray at a minimum three times in the day, for we are debtors to three, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now that's kind of an odd statement. That's kind of odd that he would say that, praying three times a day. There's nothing wrong with it, but it just seems a bit odd. I point out stuff, good and bad, that some of the early Christians said about the topics we look at. The Spirit is divine. The Spirit is God, the Father is God, and the Son is God. Very busy today, he's not a retired author. Helps in our prayers, dwells within us if we are members of God's family. That's a big if. If you are not yet a member of God's family, the Spirit is not living within you. And that can be demonstrated sometimes by the types of things that we do. The lives that we live show what's within us. And if you're not a member of God's family, the Spirit is not within you. You're not going to be consistently generating love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness. So if you're not a member of God's family, that's the first thing that needs to change. You can come forward showing that you, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, and that he was raised again so that you could be buried in baptism and be raised to walk as a new person. But if you're a member of God's family, and your life isn't showing these kinds of fruits. Maybe there's a change you need to make by coming back to God and making a recommitment that I'm going to be the kind of person God wants me to be. Those are the choices that we all face today as together we stand and sing.